Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Adam Lang. Some of the greatest change can come from the most challenging situations. In the last year, we all may have heard the phrase, never waste a crisis. The world is changing quickly. The pandemic has forced us all to adjust the way we work and live. Even as vaccines are rolled out, the traditional way of doing business may never return. And there is a level of global disruption that hasn't been seen since the Second World War. With that change comes an incredible opportunity for Australia to rethink the way we operate and to change policies to set ourselves up for global growth and to boost local productivity. Paul Bloxham is HSBC's Chief Economist for Australia, New Zealand and Global Commodities. In a piece for The Australian, he says most of the bigger picture ideas have been put aside by policymakers. Paul, welcome back to Fear and Greed. It's great to be here. Paul, Medicare launched in 1984, superannuation began in 1991, the National Disability Insurance Scheme was legislated in 2013. These are all big ideas that had a profound and positive impact. What are the big reform ideas that we should consider now? Well, there are a whole range of things that we need to still do, as you say, and as, as I wrote about, the idea here is there should be an impetus from the big shock to deliver some of these things. I guess the, the major ones I focus on are tax reform. We really have not done anything on tax reform of any significance since the GST, which is over 20 years ago. We have a very clear map for what that ought to look like and a fairly broad consensus amongst the economists as well. The you know, the Henry Review of 2010 that had 138 suggestions in it. You know, there's a lot in there that we could draw from, but but mostly it's making the tax system more efficient, shifting away from its reliance on personal and the corporate tax system and shifting more towards broader-based taxes that are less distorted, things like the GST. This ought to be a part of the discussion, but there really is very little appetite for it. Competition policy, this is another area where we've, we've had another review. We've had a review a few years back and we haven't really done that much in that space, and we, we ought to take another look at those areas. Infrastructure, well, I think this is one of the areas where you could say there has been a bit more progress, particularly at a state level. The cheap, the very low cost of funding is seeing states borrow and build infrastructure, much needed, and the feds have been involved to a degree as well, but there's certainly plenty more scope to do more infrastructure investment. And then finally, sort of setting the environment, the policy environment appropriately for the climate and energy policy mix. You know, if we want to have more private sector involvement, and there are vast opportunities in this space, not just shifting Australia's energy mix more towards renewables, which of course is now becoming more economic. It's not just a moral question. It's actually that the economics is good for shifting towards renewable usage. But in, in addition to that, there might very well be an export opportunity in this space. And there's much discussion about that. But that's the sort of bigger picture planning that we ought to be a part of what the policymakers are considering, setting ourselves up to be a large exporter of low-carbon emission energy. Change is often difficult, but falling behind can be even harder. What are the risks of not considering these reforms now? Look, this is, I guess, the, the, the point of the article and the, the, the really just raising this, and I've, I've raised this multiple times in the last 12 months, actually, that you know we should not forget that a crisis is an opportunity as well. It's a big shake-up of the way we do business and the way policymakers operate and an opportunity to reconsider how we can best take advantage of the, the opportunities that, you know, that come from the, the global rebound and the growth story going forward. Now, those reform opportunities I, I've sort of described as we talked about, I mean, I guess there's another aspect to this that we also need to keep in mind, and that is this enormous shock that we've faced, this, this pandemic, has already had quite a lot of impact in terms of adjusting the way 
that businesses operate. So while we should demand reforms that make the environment better and encourage businesses to be able to operate more efficiently, the pandemic itself has actually shifted a lot of the way we operate. Think about the fact that you know, when we talk about productivity enhancing moves, what we're often talking about is digitalization. And a lot of that's already happened. We're doing more work from home. We're doing less business travel, more VCs. We're doing more online shopping. These are all things that actually improve the efficiency of processes. We've got to keep in mind that although the government plays a big role in terms of setting the backdrop, the tax system, the competition policy, the, the, the environment that we need for infrastructure and climate and energy and so on, as I've described, actually the productivity enhancement comes from decisions that are made by businesses. Businesses make these decisions at the pointy end. They're the ones that actually do lead to the enhancement of productivity growth. So it's possible in a more sort of positive light that the shock itself from the pandemic will have accelerated some of that change. And that may very well lead to some productivity, a lift in productivity growth as well. Stay with me, Paul. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Paul Bloxham, Chief Economist, Australia, New Zealand and Global Commodities at HSBC. Reform makes sense where the perfect functioning of a market is interrupted by policy or other market impediments. What reform solutions do you think we should be proposing now? Well, as we've sort of discussed in a way, the tax system I think is definitely one where we ought to be focusing on. It is becoming increasingly inefficient. Taxes like stamp duties at a state level, the corporate tax rate being higher than elsewhere, personal income tax rates still being higher, and then effective tax rates also along the spectrum as people's income climbs, they face hurdles that might discourage them from participating in the labour market. What we want to do is make the tax system efficient and effective at encouraging corporates to make more investment, so more business investment and encouraging more participation in in the labour market. I mean, if you come back to the fundamentals, to grow the economy, you want to use the three Ps. You want productivity, participation, and population growth. And the thing that's really been missing in recent years has been the productivity growth. That bit is the bit that we need to come up with solutions for. So look, I think the tax system ought to be the number one priority in terms of things we look at. Also, it's worth listening to what the states are saying. I mean, New South Wales and Victoria are putting out their tax reform agendas that sort of in a way lead the feds and the feds ought to take a bit more notice of that because I think that is the direction we need to head. Tax reform is, I would say, the number one thing we need to be focused on and then the others cascade from there. Paid parental leave, do you see that as having a need for a review to support productivity of parents and carers to raise children and work? Yes, that's certainly the case. It's certainly the case that we need to be more focused on having the paid parental leave system and childcare system that's that's more supportive of female participation in the labour market. Because as I say, that's one of the three Ps we need to consider for lifting growth, supporting growth, and that's participation. And that is one thing you can do very tangibly to increase participation. I believe it. this looks as though it's going to be one of the topics that, that does get somewhat addressed in the upcoming budget. So we'll just have to see how well that's done and, and to what extent it's done as well. I think to your point earlier too, a lot of these reforms don't wait for government. They're being done by individual companies, some of whom are leading the way. Well, that's right. And I'd say actually one of the areas in particular where that's happening happening a lot is in, in the climate and energy space. There's a global push in this direction from policymakers offshore, but then there's actually a really big push from the corporate sector to make changes in this in this direction to improve the availability of finance for investing in renewables at the same time as sort of moving away from fossil fuels. This is a corporate agenda 
that is pushing along a political agenda as well. And I think in Australia's case, I mean, the, the economics of this is moving faster in some ways than the politics. It is becoming economic to invest in, in renewables and in some ways ahead of the broader commitments from policymakers. Although I say that the states are all individual states and territories in Australia are all committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. So there is certainly positive movement in the right direction for this area. But a lot of what ends up being done is being done that's productivity enhancing and, and seeking to lift growth is, is, is being led by the corporate sector. Sometimes we think in terms of the size of the prize that might be available through these changes, have you been able to estimate the value that can be created by some of these reforms? Well, I mean, I'm a macroeconomist, so I look at the overall sort of picture and, and what we know is productivity growth has slowed down significantly. It's a little bit harder to get a really clear gauge because the data have become a lot more volatile around the pandemic. But pre-pandemic, I mean, basically productivity growth had approximately stalled. And so we should be looking at trying to lift productivity growth back to, you know, one or one and a half percent of GDP. That would be ideal. And if it's not running at those sorts of rates, we just can't expect a pickup in wages growth. We can't expect that our potential or a trend growth rate for the economy can go back to the sorts of rates we used to be running at in previous decades. Now, one part of that may very well be that we do get a rebound, as I said, because the pandemic itself forces a lot of change on corporates and those adjustments actually lead to not just a cyclical lift in productivity, but some of it could stick. I mean, to get it back to tangibles that your audience might be interested in, you know, if it turns out that it is more efficient, that some people work from home more because they don't have to commute as much, you know, that two hours a day that some people would be using for commute, they can spread some of it between leisure, but also some of it into more work. And that might be productivity enhancing. Online retail sales is a much more efficient way of distributing and delivering goods. You, you, so you cut out a number of steps along the way. And that's, that's a positive you know, a personal bugbear of my own is I've done a lot of business travel in my professional life as an economist. I'm still doing all the same things now via VC. That is an improvement in my efficiency. And if some of that sticks, then that is likely to be productivity enhancing. So I think some of the digitalization of processes that's happened because of the pandemic is also going to help with productivity. But that shouldn't take away from the impetus that the shock itself delivers to get the reforms in place that we've talked about that then encourage, that set the backdrop, the backdrop, the policy backdrop to encourage even businesses to make even more changes and therefore to lift our overall growth prospects. It's the only way we're going to get a sustained lift in living standards and a sustained rise in wages growth is going to be to improve productivity. That's the, that's the only way you do it in a sustained way. We'll be back with more in a moment. I'm talking to Paul Bloxham, Chief Economist, Australia, New Zealand and Global Commodities at HSBC. Paul, in your article, you also wrote about industrial relations across our Federation of States. Do you think we should be looking at one employment standard that copes with a digital economy rather than one that's by state and looks after minimum four-hour shifts? Certainly, industrial relations is an area we ought to look at. I I sort of group it under the idea of competition policy of the sort of four groupings I gave earlier. But, I mean, one of the things that's evident from the recent sort of attempts to try and make industrial relations reform is just how hard it is. It's very hard to try and get that done, even, even in the environment we've been in where we've had this really big shock and you would think it would allow a bit more motivation for change and as, as the labour market improves, the economy picks up. If we don't get some of these changes in sort of around now, I, I, I think that, you know, you, you have to strike while the iron is hot. And I, 
I do worry that actually the iron's already cooling down and that we won't get as much reform. And that, that I guess, is a part of what I'm suggesting in the article is that with budget just around the corner, this is an opportunity to do these reforms and, and labour market industrial relations reform obviously plays a role too. Paul, as we look towards that budget, thank you for your article and thanks so much for talking to Fear and Greed this morning. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. That was Paul Bloxham, Chief Economist, Australia, New Zealand and Global Commodities at HSBC for the Fear and Greed daily interview. Join Sean Aylmer every weekday morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all your business news. I'm Adam Lang. Enjoy your day.